yo, yo, good morning. Friends, what's up with this weather? Can we just lament for a minute? Like, lament is biblical, okay? Oh, Michigan, how I love thee. Let me, let me count the ways. Uh, hey, uh, how many of y'all got uh, Apple Watches? Raise them high. Come on. Come on, raise them up. Apple Watches. All right. There's quite a few of you. In the first service, I called them iWatches. And everybody looked at me and said, okay, boomer. And I'm like, I'm not even a boomer. Not a fan of the Apple Watch. Just going to tell you that right now. Not a fan of the Apple Watch. Uh, I think that everybody ought to have a real watch with a real dial, real numbers. All right? You're like... I can have a dial on my Apple Watch, too. <laughs> but I will say that after I saw this commercial, I actually kind of wanted an Apple Watch. I came on paddleboarding, and a hard wind came in, and it's pushing me out to sea. It's pushing you out to sea? Yeah. I'm pretty far out in the ocean. I've been stuck out here for a couple of hours. All right, so it's getting a little hairy. I can't fight the wind anymore. We're going to send for a water rescue, okay? Thank you. No, don't appreciate nothing. We have everybody coming for you. Can you imagine uh, drifting out into the ocean like that? I mean, that sounds like, a, it sounds like the beginning of Shark Week. That, that's what that sounds like to me. Like some, some really awful Shark Week episode that I'm going to have to watch. The idea of drifting out into the ocean is absolutely terrifying. And uh, Apple Watch would be really handy in a moment like that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua 23. As you know, we've been walking through our series in the book of Joshua uh, for the last eight weeks. We've got one more week next week as we finish up our series. I'm super excited about what we get to discuss uh, from the book of Joshua this morning and really, really excited uh, to finish off the series next week. We're in Joshua 23 this week. Last week, we were in Joshua 10. That's 13 chapters that we're skipping ahead. You're like, why are we skipping 13 chapters? Well, let me catch us up to speed. In Joshua 10, we actually heard the story of the sun standing still last week and the reminder that God is willing to do whatever is necessary to fulfill his promises. The promise that he made to Israel, that he was going to fight for them. We went to the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, and we're reminded of what God desires for us, that there's no longer a battle over land. Now the battle is over you and I, and God promises that he's going to do whatever it takes to help us become like Christ, to, to do that work in us. Chapter 10 kind of uh, moves into chapter 11, which is really about how the southern kingdoms uh, were um, uh, conquered by God and given to Israel. And then chapter 12 is about the northern kingdoms, and that brings us to chapters 13 through 19. Those seven chapters are just an ongoing explanation of how the land was divided and given to the 12 tribes. 
All right, so you're welcome to read through that. It's absolutely riveting. I'm just kidding. It's not all that exciting. Unless you're a huge geography and ancient Near East historical Israeli buff, uh, you can skip over those like we're doing right now. And that would bring you to chapter 20, which is actually a really, really interesting chapter in the book of Joshua. It's, it's when God tells Joshua to set up cities of refuge. These are cities that were kind of located centrally around Israel that were for people who had maybe accidentally done something and injustice was about to come on them. And so they could run to these cities and these cities would harbor these individuals so that they could receive justice. And it was for uh, Israelites and foreigners within the land. And so it's a pretty cool explanation of God's passion for justice and that his expectation that Israel would stand against injustice in the land. That moves us into chapters 21 and 22, which is more of an explanation of how the land is divvied up. Uh, the Levites were one of the tribes, but they were not given any land themselves. They were simply given cities within each of the other 11 tribes' land. All right? So, just kind of talks about how they wound up with their land. And that brings us up to chapter 23. Now, at this time, Joshua is quite old. We think about 25 years, give or take, has transpired from the beginning of Joshua up until chapter 23, near the end of Joshua's life. Uh, Joshua's got to be really old because let's just assume that Joshua was around 20 when Israel is rescued out of slavery in Egypt. So they come out of Egypt. God does all of these amazing miracles to show that he is who he says he is, that he has uh, power and control over heaven and earth. And he tells Israel that they're finally, it's time for them to go into the promised land that God had, had promised to give to them. And uh, Joshua, Caleb, and 10 other spies go into the land. Joshua and Caleb come back and they say, let's go. God's giving us this land. The other 10 are like, no way. They're way too big. The people are, we're going to get destroyed. We can't do it. And all of Israel rebels against God. And so they wind up as punishment wandering for 40 years. So if we assume Joshua's 20 when he first goes into the promised land to spy it out. Then he's got 40 years where they've wandered with Israel. He's 60. All right, at that point. Then he's got another 25 years throughout the book of Joshua until chapter 23 here. Joshua is at probably at least 85 years old. We pick up the story. Joshua chapter 23, verse 1. Joshua is giving his farewell advice to all of the leaders of Israel. Verse 1 says, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest, from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. Duh. You yourselves have seen everything that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord, your God himself, will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord, your God, promised you. Drop down to verse 9. 
The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routs a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally or ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So it's near the end of Joshua's life. He calls together all the leaders, the elders, the officials, and he's basically giving them his last words. He's telling them, look, pay attention. This is what you need to know. He does two things. The first thing he does is he reminds them what God has done for them. He recounts how God has rescued them. So uh, he basically says three things. One, he reminds them that God has fought for Israel. God is the one who does it. He says it's like one of you can defeat a thousand. All right? That's pretty good odds. Okay? But it's not because they're like super soldiers. It's because God is the one doing the fighting. All right? The second thing he reminds them is that God has given them rest. Okay? There's still some work to be done that God is going to do, but God has given them rest. They don't have to fear uh, of being invaded from any of the neighboring countries or nations. God's given them rest. The third thing that he says is that God has fulfilled all of his promises. Every single one of them. So he starts off by reminding them what God has done. Then, after he reminds them of what God has done, he reminds them what will happen if they turn away from Yahweh, if they turn away from God. Uh, the first thing he says that is if Israel aligns with the people that are in the land, then God will no longer be able to fight for Israel because God cannot fight against himself. So if Israel decides to align themselves with the people who are against God, God's not going to be able to fight for Israel because they will have aligned themselves with people who are against God. God can't fight against himself. Then he goes on to share three things that will happen if they begin to follow the gods of the peoples that had been living in the land. He says the culture around them will become traps and snares for them. They'll feel stuck, boxed in, caught. Have you ever, have you ever seen a, uh, a trapped animal? Um, we have, uh, oh, what are they called? Why am I blanking now? Cute little, they're not squirrels, they're chipmunks. So cute, right? Alvin, Theodore, Simon. Um, the problem is Alvin, Theodore, and Simon, they, they like wreak havoc on your home. They eat up all kinds of stuff. That they, sorry. And so we trap them. Now, we trap them humanely uh, with live traps. Won't tell you what happens after they're trapped humanely in live traps. But we do trap them. And if you ever see a, uh, a chipmunk that's been live trapped, those things are like crazy. Running back and forth. In fact, sometimes they actually die because of the anxiety and like the running around. And what he says is, if you begin to ally yourselves, align yourselves with people of 
this land, they're going to become a trap for you. If you begin to follow their gods, they're going to become a trap for you. And then the second thing that he says, verse 13, he says, the culture will then enslave them with whips on their backs. This reference to whips on their backs is purposely intended to point them, remind them of what had happened to them when they were in Egypt. This was just a generation ago. It wasn't that long ago. The people had a very real, visceral memory of what had happened to their ancestors while they were enslaved in Egypt. And he says, look, if you start deciding to align yourselves with the people and their gods, then you're not only going to become trapped, you're going to become enslaved again like you had been before. And slaves don't control their destiny. Slaves have to do as they're told. And the third thing that he says, if they turn away from God, is that the culture will blind them to what is best. The culture will become traps. The culture will enslave them. And eventually they will become blind to what is best. It says that thorns will dig into their eyes. When you're trapped, when you become enslaved, you begin to actually not realize that you're actually trapped and enslaved. Uh, in fact, you can begin to defend and protect the very thing that is killing you. So what's the solution? Joshua actually gave them a solution, but I skipped over it on purpose so that we can come back and talk about it now. So jump back with me to verse 6. This is the solution that Joshua wants to give to the people. He says, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Don't invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have up until now. The solution is actually kind of fourfold. The first thing that he says to them in his final address to all the leaders that he's gathered, knowing he's in his last days, is he says, obey all that is written in God's word. That's his first thing. Look, obey everything that's been written in God's word. And then he says, don't turn to the right or to the left, which is very apropos to us Americans. Don't turn to the right or the left. I promise you, if you're going to follow God's word, God's word is an equal opportunity offender. Very much offends the liberal left and the conservative right. Obey all that is written in God's word. Don't turn to the right or to the left. And then the last thing he says is hold fast to God. Hold fast to God. Basically, what Joshua's doing is he's telling them to be careful that they don't drift. At the very beginning, he says, be very strong. Be careful. That's how he starts it off. Be careful. Pay attention. Pay attention. Hold fast to the Lord your God. Don't allow yourself to drift. Um, I grew up camping every summer. Uh, my dad was a teacher and uh, he would always have summers off, and so we would go camping, all right? Uh, I loved it. Um, we had a pop-up, and then we had a big family, so we had a pop-up, and uh, usually at least one, if not two tents, uh, that we'd have to put up. Uh, it's the very reason that I hate 
tent camping today because I did it all the time growing up. But when I was growing up, I thought it was fantastic, man. We'd get away and we'd go to different uh, state parks, uh, but we almost every year, almost always went to my favorite state park here in Michigan, Warren Dunes. How many of you guys have ever been to Warren Dunes? Any, any Warren Dunes fans? Yes. Uh, it's only about uh, an hour and a half away, uh, give or take, and it is phenomenal. I love Warren Dunes. Uh, this is a picture of the beach. Uh, if you were to look up to the left, you would actually see this massive sand dune. And that was actually probably uh, the first thing that I loved about Warren Dune State Park is that sand dune. One of the first things we'd do as soon as we pulled into the parking lot, uh, we would run up the sand dune. And that takes a long time uh, to run up the sand dune. It, it's, it's, I don't know, it feels like your lungs are about to burst. But when you're a little kid, like that, you don't care. You're like, let's go. And you start off running. And then you start doing all fours. And then eventually you're like knees and elbows. Like, but, but you get up to the top and you're like so excited. Like you're looking out over the lake. And, and then you decide you're going to have a race down, right? And you start flying down. And all of a sudden, your legs are going so fast that you can't keep up anymore. And before you know it, uh, you face plant, boom, and then you scorpion, boom, and then like you've like all kinds of sand in your mouth, and and it's amazing, like the sand dune, like that was one of my favorite. The second favorite thing though that I loved doing there uh, was walking up the creek that ran through the campground out to the beach in Lake Michigan. Uh, usually what we would do is we'd actually walk uh, just a little bit above um, where you can't see kind of the top right. That's where the creek comes out. And you could walk back through the woods in this creek, and eventually you would get to the clay banks. This gray clay that you could then grab and wipe on your face or all over your body and pretend you're like a zombie. But the best thing about it was having clay fights. All right, with your brothers and sisters. You just grab the clay and kind of make it into, you know, snowball, clay ball, and you're just whipping it at each other and like, yeah, it's the best. I love that. But my favorite part is, of course, Lake Michigan. That's the best part of going to Warren Dunes State Park. Now, uh, I will say uh, the best part is not necessarily Lake Michigan. It's actually Lake Michigan the day before or after a big storm, Okay. When the waves are really rocking, where you can like body surf and just run out and jump and the waves just slam you into the side, like that's the best part. That's when you want to be out. And now the truth is though, that's a really dangerous time to play around in Lake Michigan, especially when you're a kid. My parents didn't seem to care. Uh, maybe it was because they had a bunch of us. I don't know. You lose one. It's all right. We got a bunch more. But they would let us go out and play like it's a red flag. Like, you're not supposed to be in the water. Ah, go have fun, kids. Uh, so we'd be out there like playing in the waves. It was fantastic and wonderful. Uh, but it was dangerous. Uh, since 2010, there's been almost 1,000 drownings that have happened in Lake Michigan. And many of them often happen when there's big waves because of the currents. That's actually one of the reasons that they put the little swim buoys out there. The swim buoys are intended to be markers for where you're at. Uh, we were at a conference uh, this past week, and uh, the whole staff was there. Uh, Christine Kane. Any of you ever heard Christine Kane speak before? She's actually speaking at If Gathering. She's a fantastic communicator. And she was telling a similar story. She said that uh, her, she grew up in Australia, and um, her parents would take her to the ocean, and when they would go, 
uh, because of the currents and everything, they would always uh, make sure to, have, they, she said we had a red umbrella and she'd, they would put it and her dad would say to her, uh, honey, use this as a marker. Use this as a marker. He said that the ocean is constantly moving. And the only thing you need to do to drift is nothing. The only thing you need to do to drift is nothing. And that is absolutely true of Lake Michigan after a storm, and it is absolutely true of our spiritual lives. The only thing you need to do to drift is nothing. If you don't pay attention to the markers before you know it, you'll look up and nothing will look familiar or you'll be way further out than you ever intended to be. Well, the truth is, nobody ever intends to drift away, do they? No, when I was a little kid, I can remember playing out in the waves and I'm just bouncing around and diving into them and playing. And next thing I know, I look up and I don't know where I'm at anymore. I can't find where my folks are. I've drifted over the course of 20 minutes and didn't even realize it. Nobody ever wants to get pushed out beyond the buoys, but it happens nonetheless. It happens when we lose sight of the markers. The way to drift is simply to do nothing. So this is the warning that Joshua is giving to Israel. He's saying, look, you need to know, these are my last words. This is what I want you to understand. If you take the gods of the peoples that have been living here, if you begin to align yourself with them, it's going to destroy you, ensnare you, enslave you. You're going to become blind to the fact. So he starts off by saying, be careful. And he finishes by saying, hold fast to God. Obey everything that's in his word. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Hold fast. Don't drift. What I want to do in the last few minutes of our time is I want to talk about five markers that will help us know if we've been drifting spiritually. Look, can we be honest? It's been a tough couple years, hasn't it? And with all the COVID protocols and all the ways that we've been asked to disengage in many ways, um, it's been pretty easy for, for us to do nothing in this last season. And when we do nothing, that's often when we one day look up and find that we've drifted way farther out than we ever intended. We need markers to help us recognize where we've drifted, how far we've drifted. And so these, as I just was praying uh, yesterday, these are five markers that I felt like God said, look at these markers. So the first marker is this. Am I doing what is best or settling for what is convenient in my spiritual life? Am I doing what is best or settling for what is convenient in my spiritual life? Are you committed to being at church? Or is it sometimes convenient to just chill on the couch and tune in online? Or maybe just, you know what, uh, as long as I get there once or twice a month, it's Michigan, man. It's the weekend. I need to travel. 
travel. It's okay. This isn't about checking a box. It's simply saying, are we looking at our engagement with our spiritual life and simply engaging when it's convenient or doing what is actually best for our soul. Same thing goes when it comes to our engagement with God in his word or our engagement in community. How committed are you to your local group? The second marker, do I have sustained joy in my life or am I constantly looking for things to try and make me feel happy? Are you working for the weekend? Is that what life's kind of turned into? Like, ah, if I can just, I hate my job, but if I can just get there. Uh, maybe you find yourself buying things all the time. Maybe you find yourself going out to eat all the time. Maybe you're engaging in alcohol to try to numb some of the pain. Do I have sustained joy in my life or am I constantly looking for things to try and make me feel happy? Uh, mental health struggles have been up crazy in the last couple of years because we have been disconnected from one another. We need one another. Now, I'm not talking here about clinical depression. That's very real. So is situational uh, depression and anxiety. What we do know about situational depression and anxieties is often connected to the rhythms and patterns and habits that are in our lives. And so, we need to ask ourselves, take a look at the marker. Is there sustained joy in my life? Or am I just looking for things to try to make me happy because I'm not feeling it? But the third thing is, am I able to be silent with God and enjoy his presence? Or do I keep myself busy with distractions? This one hurts a little bit. Because I know how much time I spend on my phone. In fact, I saw my uh, update today and it's like, you were 13% more this past week. I was like, dang. How much time am I mindlessly surfing news or scrolling, watching Netflix? Uh, one of the things that I've had to really wrestle with, because I try to spend silence with God uh, on a regular basis, not, not every day, but on a regular basis. And I have realized that there are times when my mind races so much when I try to get silent that, that it almost hurts. When I try to sit down and just be with God and listen to him, and all of a sudden, that thing I'm supposed to do, that email I forgot to write to that person yesterday, oh man, I can't forget that, I'm going to forget it again if I don't do it right now. My mind just starts throwing things. Am I able to be silent with God and enjoy his presence, or do I keep myself busy with distractions? The fourth marker. Am I valuing God's word? opinions and acceptance over my friends' words, opinions, and acceptance. Or in other words, where do I look to find what is right, wrong, good, bad, true, false? God or the people around me? This shows up in how we think about hot-button topics of our day. Sexuality, politics, what you will or won't do with your girlfriend. Who are you listening to? Who are you most interested in being accepted by? The last one, 
the last marker. Is prayer my first response or my last resort? Is prayer my first response or my last resort? Um, this is actually a question that uh, a different speaker at the conference posed, and it really kind of hit me because so often I, I, it is my last resort. And I'm a pastor. Something good happens to me, I tell my friends rather than say, thanks, God. Something bad happens to me, I pop an aspirin or talk to my wife because she's a nurse. Rather than, God, I, I need you. I want God to be my first response, not my last resort. Um, Joshua basically lays out what he desires for Israel, knowing that his time on earth is coming to an end. And he basically says, look, I, I need you guys to be careful to obey everything that God's commanded. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Hold fast to God. This is what's going to keep you from drifting. And friends, the only thing that we need to do to drift is nothing. And we've been in a season these last two years that's made it really easy to kind of do nothing. Drifting happens to every single one of us from time to time. I know in these last two years, I've certainly had seasons where all of a sudden I look up and I realize, whew, I'm not where I like to be. And my guess is you've probably felt that too. Uh, maybe some of you are feeling that right now. God brought you here this morning because God wanted to remind you to look at the markers in your life. Um, the reason that I, that I had us watch that Apple Watch commercial is because I love that last line. The guy says, I've drifted out and I don't know if I can get back. Is that how you feel right now? Like you've drifted out and you don't know how you can get back. And that dude was terrified. I don't know if you could hear it in his voice, but he's like, I'm tired. It's been hours. I don't think I can get back. And I love what the lady says. She says, don't you worry. We've got everybody coming for you. We've got everybody coming for you. You know what's wild is he'd had that watch on the entire time. Trying so hard to make it work on his own. All he needed to do was call. And I think that's one of the things Jesus wants you to know as well. You don't have to do it all on your own. You just have to call out. And Jesus promises that he will send everybody after you. His spirit, his love, his church. You just need to ask. We've got everybody coming for you. So in this moment, I'm just going to ask you, just bow your heads, um, close your eyes. And I just want to pray for us before we sing a couple of songs to just worship God and thank him for what he's done. But before I pray, I'm guessing that there's some of you that you feel like you've been drifting. And I would just love to be able to pray for you. So with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you this morning, 
If God's been saying something to you, just, just raise your hand. It doesn't have to be high. Just, just a little bit. I can see you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt it too in this season. I felt it too. Today's the day that we look up and say we're not going to keep drifting. We'll call out and God will send his spirit, his love, his church, begin to pull us back into shore. That's what he does. Father God, we're asking you for help. God, we thank you for the words of Joshua to Israel. And Father, we don't believe, though, that they were just for Israel at that time. They're for us today. God, there are gods in our culture all around us. And it's so easy to get caught up and get ensnared, trapped, become enslaved, to even be blind to the fact that we're caught in these snares of these gods of our culture. God, it's easy to drift. That's why Joshua said to be careful, to obey everything that your word says, to not turn to the left or right, to hold fast to you, God, because when we do nothing, that's how we drift. And so, Father, today we just acknowledge, we acknowledge that maybe uh, for many of us in here, we've been drifting and we're just saying, God, uh, bring us back. Bring us back. We give you permission. What do you need to do in our lives, God? Who do we need to talk to What do we need to do, Father? We give you permission. Begin to bring us back to the safety of shore. Thank you that you are a God who never gives up. doesn't matter how far away we got. That's why your word reminded us last week that nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus, not height or depth. No matter how far out we get, Father, we can't be separated because you love us so much. You're a God who comes near when we ask you. Rescue us, Father, for your glory. That we might obey your word and hold fast to you. In Jesus' name.